Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Bible Church Podcast. Always reforming because we're always conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the Sovereign Grace Bible Podcast. We're going to continue exploring Romans chapter 2 and seeing how the history of the law of God applies itself to Jewish and Gentile distinctions. Now this is very important because we're looking we are looking at the essential nature of the law. When you read Romans chapter 1, it applies to all men, all men universally. If you are a Jew, you would identify Gentiles by the sins listed here in verses 27 you had identified Gentiles with the sins listed in verse 23 through the end of the chapter. The end of chapter 1 contains a list of very vile sins. And it can be deceiving in reading this list of sins and limiting the law to such gross immorality, idolatry, perversion, murder, lying, haters of God. There is a subtlety to sin. Sin will whisper in your ear that these gross sins don't apply to you. You can begin to think of the law far too relatively. You can think of the law in far too relative terms. You can begin to see yourself in a different light from that which you see the men who commit these gross sins. However, there is a trouble. The fact that you judge these people who do these things to be sinful show that there is a standard by which men's actions will be judged. We far too often can read verse 32 of chapter 1 without reading verse 1 of chapter 2. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So we see here the the murderers, the perverts, the idolaters, that they do things which they know will bring God's judgment, And we in our righteous indignation stand up and say they are worthy of death. But now let us read verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. And this is a very important verse. This verse, as we went over some last week, and we'll continue in more detail, in a little more simplistic language this week. But I want to focus here that he seems to change direction. I do believe in verse 1 that he would be describing and speaking to Jews who know the law. Commentators are certainly divided over this, and it can certainly be applied to everyone. But you can really read the context, and you can see how a self-righteous Jew could Look at the whole world that commits the sins of chapter 1. And then righteous, self-righteous indignation condemned them. But this is a very important aspect. Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. And again, what I want to stress is that your relationship to God can never change his relationship to your actions. If you are in covenant with God or not in covenant with God, if you're under 15 covenants of God, God has a standard of judgment. That standard is found in verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. 
So there is a truth by which God will judge the actions of all men. And we prove that this is true by condemning the actions of some men, of other men. But we are all too often willing to ignore the sin in ourselves because of the sin in others. But God cannot ignore it. God abides in complete truth. Sometimes man does not abide in truth. Sometimes man even believes a lie. Sometimes we have ignorance. A good deal many people are ignorant about God's will for their life because they have no scripture. They have no teachers, no church to attend to. They don't have God's mind revealed to them in this holy word. And therefore their judgment is wrong because it's not according to truth. But God's judgments are always according to truth. He is truth itself. He cannot lie. He knows all things. He has all power behind his knowledge. And therefore, whatever is truth is true. And whatever is against truth is against truth. I know that is simplistic language, but a covenantal relationship cannot change that. The covenants that God enters into with man do not change truth. And notice here that Jews and Gentiles, which makes up the contrast here in this chapter, Jews and Gentiles have certain actions which God will acknowledge to be sin. For example, if a Jew tells a lie, God is a God of truth. God can never say that a certain Jew did not lie. Take, for example, David. David killed Uriah. David was in a multi-layered covenantal relationship with God. As a Jew, he was under the covenant of Moses to keep the law, and God entered into a covenant with him that of his seed, one of his sons would be raised up to sit on his throne. This, of course, is the Davidic covenant, whose ultimate fulfillment was not Solomon, but our Lord Jesus Christ, whose one of his titles being the son of David. And he, being a man of redeemed grace, was also under the covenant of grace, or the covenant of redemption. Jesus Christ shed his blood to pay for the sins of David. Now, given all of those covenantal relationships with King David, God did not have a choice in the matter whether or not to acknowledge the murder that David committed. God could never pretend it didn't happen. God could never ignore it or be ambivalent toward it. God in his unchanging nature, and this is one of my favorite aspects of God, is immutability. Our confession states that God hath neither body, nor parts, nor passion. But because God is described as not having passions, does not mean that he's not emotional. But rather what that describes is that God's emotions, which he genuinely and truly has, are not like man's emotions. We experience things in time, one thing after another. We are reactionary, always reactionary, always reacting to the events in our lives. If we stub our toe, we have a reaction to it. Somebody is nice to us, we have a reaction to it. But that is not God. God never reacts. God's foreknowledge and foreordered nation of whatsoever comes to pass prohibits him from even being able to react. You cannot react to something you plan out and accomplish of your own will. That is not reactionary. Reactions happen because we have some ignorance or something is imposed upon us. Nothing can be imposed upon God. Therefore, when David sinned, 
even though his sins were put away by the blood of Jesus Christ. He must acknowledge that David was a sinner. God is unchangingly hateful of what David did. God eternally and unchangeably hates the murder of Uriah. He hates all sin without wavering. There's no waxing or waning with God's hatred of sin. His hatred of sin is perfect and unchanging. And therefore, God will always acknowledge our sin to some degree. He always has the knowledge of it. And he is always opposed to it. Because that is the truth. So God is always opposed to sin. He can never change his opinion of sin. Now the Jews had the law of God. And we read all throughout, especially the New Testament, how the Jews, how some Jews had some airs about them. They looked down on the Gentile world. Think of the woman of Samaria, how the Jews did not have dealings with the Samaritans. Isn't it so sad that the whole world can't stand in covenantal relationship with God the way the Jews are? That covenant relationship cannot change the truth. Jews must abide in the truth. Yes, it's true they are God's chosen people. Yes, it was true that God blessed them and walked with them and gave them his laws and gave him his testimonies. But look what Paul says in verse 6, that God will render to every man according to his deeds, but to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, which is in contrast to doing truth. You are either doing truth or you are doing evil. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. And here it is, verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. Your covenant position cannot change the truth by which God will judge all men. Your covenant relationship, even your covenant relationship of being in Christ, does not change the need for your salvation. Even your covenant relationship of being in Christ does not change the fact that God will know your sin, he will call your sin, sin, and he hates your sin. And that no covenant relationship can exempt you from the truth, from obeying the truth. Because truth is a reflection of God, and God is unchanging. Therefore, you cannot enter into a covenant that is fundamentally of itself antinomian. Antinomian means without law, against the law, no law, workers of iniquity. God can never be in a covenant relationship that promotes antinomianism. God can never be in a covenant relationship that denies truth. God is no respecter of persons, whether you're Jew or Gentile, man, woman, sovereign, reformed, Baptist, or Muslim, or an atheist. God will judge all men's actions according to that truth. And just because you are a Jew and you had the law, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be just before God. So we see here a connection. He adds terminology. Paul's, Paul very often will substitute terms. 
So here there's an equivalency between doers of the law, working good, obeying the truth. All of those are equivocated in these verses. So then not to obey the laws to not obey the truth, to not obey the laws to work evil. And here, all men, Jew or Gentile, if you disobey the law, you will be judged, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you have the law or not, because it's the same actions. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, any man, and any kind of covenantal relationship with God, soever thou art that judges, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. It is these same things which, as I said last time, he identifies with the Ten Commandments here in chapter 2. Now, there's no respect of persons for as many have sinned without law. Again, that law is the written law, not law together, not in its absolute sense, for this law here is equivocated with truth. And if they do that law, then God must acknowledge that a man did the law. Now, that him doing the law and him that worketh good can never justify a man because we know that all men have some sin to account for. But if a man who knows not God does something good, then God must acknowledge the truthfulness of it. God must abide in truth. If somebody does something good, then God has to acknowledge it, even if there are other sins that condemn him in his totality. Verse 12, For as many have sinned without the law shall perish without the law, without the written law. Again, this is not, it is not like Gentiles were not under law, because it is by the transgression of the law that they perish. They die because of their sin, for as many as sinned. And what is the definition of sin? The definition of sin is found in 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Therefore, there must be a law for these Gentiles to transgress in order to be labeled sinners. For as many have sinned without the law. Law defines sin. There is that confluence of definition between law and truth. Any Gentile who walks not in absolute truth all the time to the highest degree will fall under the condemnation of the law. They will perish even though they never received the law of Moses. As many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, by the written law, unto whom much is given, much is required. We know from reading the Gospels that there was a certain segment of the Jews which must have thought among themselves that just simply being Jew and hearing the law and attending to public and outward forms of worship was sufficient for God to have a was sufficient to be in a right relationship with God, whether or not they walked in truth. For the hearers of the law, for not the hearers of the law just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified, that is, declared righteous. For the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, else their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. Now even, now, let me make an application here. When you learn something of the beauty of good doctrine, when you learn to love 
a gospel of sovereign grace. It is easy to let the forked-tongued serpent of pride sneak into your ear and whisper about how spiritual you are. Don't you feel sorry for all those Arminians? They're void of the truth of a sovereign gospel. They don't even believe in tulip. They don't believe in irresistible grace. They have make a monstrosity of the atonement. They say Jesus died for the whole world, but what they really mean he died for nobody, or oh, what poor, ignorant Arminians. Boy, if they could only be like us. If they could only know what we know. If they could only believe what we believe. Oh, God has atoned for my sins. I stand perfectly right. I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus imputed to my account. And God sees me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the devil will tell you all those good and glorious truths. See, the devil's not afraid of any truth. The devil was not afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ to tempt him to sin. The devil will use anything at his disposal and is an expert in taking the good and twisting it. And if he can take a sound gospel, if he can talk about being justified by imputed righteousness, being justified by faith alone, and get you to twist the application of it, or let you be prideful in your thoughts about it, and that you begin to excuse sin in yourself, or begin to not see yourself as sinful as others. You set yourself apart and put yourself in a different category, and you apply a different standard to yourself than the one God applies to all men. You see not the heinousness of your sins, because you think somehow that you knowing something about sovereign grace theology you know about being justified by faith alone somehow puts you in a different relationship with God? Did you change God? Or did God change you so he can't relate to you in truth? It doesn't matter what you believe, what you confess, what you hear, what you believe. What matters? Are you walking in truth? Apply the truth to yourself in its fullness. Apply the truthfulness of God's law to you in its depth, in every degree, thought, word, or deed. Behold, thou art called a sovereign grace Baptist, a reformed Baptist, and resteth in your theology, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his theology, and approvest of the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of Calvin's institutes. And thou art confident that thou thyself art a guide to the poor Arminians, a light to them which are ignorant, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge, and of the truth and the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teacheth not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, through you as it is written, Your outward forms of religion verily profiteth, if you obey the truth. But if you be a breaker of the truth, thy outward forms of religion is made no religion at all. And therefore if the uncircumcision... Keep the righteousness of the law. Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Is obedience better than sacrifice? If there's somebody who's not a Reformed Baptist and they're obeying God, isn't that better than a Reformed Baptist who sins? Which does God prefer? 
For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. I run in a conservative group, and we have our certain pet doctrines. One of the pet doctrines we hold to is modesty. My children dress modest. Our church has modest standards. We expect people to dress modestly. It's what the scriptures command and teach. If churches fall off from what the scriptures teaches, well, they'll have to answer to God. The scriptures command all people, men and women, to both be modest. And I have noticed that it is very easy to become prideful in, and have met people who are prideful and make their boast of being ultra-conservative Christians. I say God takes no notice of the outside. The outside may fool men. I've known men that I thought were godly and are yet in prison serving decades-long prison sentences for their ungodliness. For he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God, God who sees the inside, who sees the thoughts and actions of your heart, a God who sees whether or not your thought, word, or deed conforms to his truth. Pray to God to give you the grace to see yourself in light of the truth. May God be merciful to us all. Thank you.